Jesus cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. Jesus loved Jerusalem and her people. Jesus loved Jerusalem, but he bemoaned their violence and their faithlessness. Reference to Jerusalem is first found in Genesis when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Salem will become Jerusalem, but neither Salem nor Jerusalem is mentioned again until Joshua is confronted by Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, one of the five kings of the Amorites who fought against the Israelites as they entered the promised land. For the next 200 years, Jerusalem and the Jebusites who lived there were enemies of the Jews. In 2 Samuel, however, we find that David reigned as king of Israel and Judah for 33 years in Jerusalem. From that time forward, Jerusalem has been central to the political life of the Jews. Solomon reigned 40 years there, and all the kings of Judah from Solomon reigned there. Under Rehoboam, son of Solomon, the kingdom was divided. Judah and Benjamin in Jerusalem and the other ten tribes in, the, in Israel uh, in the north. But Jerusalem remained the city of the great king. Jerusalem was also the center of worship for the Jewish people. From the day that David took back the Ark of the Covenant that had been captured by the Philistines and brought it into Jerusalem, the city has been the locus of priestly ministry and sacrifice to God. On that day, David danced before the Lord and made sacrifices to God. It was in the heart of David to build a house for the Lord in Jerusalem, a sacred space so that the Ark of the Covenant could dwell there. But that was to be left to his son Solomon. At the completion of the temple, Solomon prayed, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of the, your servant, to, the, to my plea, O Lord. If a man sins against his neighbor, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain, if there is famine in the land, if your people go out to battle, if they sin against you, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer, and their plea, and maintain their cause, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. Solomon prayed that whatever their circumstance, if the people prayed toward the house he had built for God, that God would hear from his dwelling place in heaven and favorably answer the people's prayer. Solomon offered as a peace offering to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Thus, thus the cult of Jewish worship and priestly sacrifice was established in Jerusalem, and it continued for a thousand years until the second temple built by Herod the Great was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. 
It should be no surprise that since the political life and the religious life of the Israelites centered in Jerusalem, it is there that the prophets spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophecy of Isaiah begins, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Jeremiah prophesies, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. Ezekiel says, Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations, with countries all around. Daniel tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, and Malachi all prophesy concerning Jerusalem and her inhabitants, their sins, their conflicts, their destruction, their captivity, their redemption. Jerusalem is central to the ministry of the prophets. Israel drove out the people of the land who sacrificed their sons and daughters to false gods. They established Jerusalem as a center of operations for the prophets, the priests, and the kings. Weeks ago, when I first learned that I would be preaching today and what the gospel lesson was, I wrote a sermon in which I argued rather convincingly, I think, that Jesus entered Jerusalem as prophet, priest, and king. I hope we will not lose sight of that truth today. But I want to speak to the church as the new Jerusalem. Jesus loves the church as he did Jerusalem of old. But I wonder, I just wonder, if Jesus bemoans our violence and our faithlessness. Have we tolerated too long in the land those who sacrifice their sons and daughters? I recently read an article by the Reverend Dr. Jules Gomez, rector of August, St. Augustine's Church in the Isle of Man, entitled, The Silence of the Shepherds on the Abortion of the Lambs. In that article, he decried the lack of comment from Protestant pulpits regarding abortion. He remembered the genocide of six million Jews by Nazi Germany, Germany and how Protestant pulpits in Europe and America were silent during that time. Then he added, and I quote, an exponentially greater genocide of 61 million unborn babies in the U.S. since Roe v. Wade. 9 million in the U.K. since 1967, and an unspeakable figure of over 1,523,000,000 worldwide since 1980 has elicited even, greater, even fewer condemnations from, provident, from Protestant, <clears throat> excuse me, Protestant pulpits in the U.S. and U.K., end quote. Dr. Gomez wrote that the radical abortion law passed by the New York State Legislature, deceptively entitled Reproductive Health Act, treats abortion as a fundamental right and allows non-physicians to perform abortions, allows abortions through the third trimester, including up to birth, 
and removes protections for babies that survive abortion, meaning babies could be left to die after a live birth. When the bill passed, members of the New York legislature stood and applauded. They cheered the right to commit infanticide. Are we any better than the nations driven from the promised land by the Israelites? Dr. Gomez did not address the Virginia abortion controversy or the Born Alive bill that failed the U.S. Senate. Both of those came after the Jules Gomez article, but we will address them now. Virginia bill would have allowed an abortion up to the moment of natural birth according to Kathy Tran, who sponsored the bill. And Governor Ralph Northam explained on national TV that a child who survives an attempted abortion would be kept comfortable until the doctor and the mother decided whether or not that child should live or die. To allow that child to die would be infanticide. Thanks be to God, that bill failed. The sad thing is that the media has made more of a stink over the fact that Governor Northam was photographed in blackface than the fact that he was okay with killing a child born alive. Both, of course, are disgraceful. The born alive bill that failed the U.S. Senate would have guaranteed medical care for an infant that survived an attempted abortion. That's all. If a child survives an abortion attempt, you must provide medical care. There were no penalties in the bill for the mother or the doctor unless the doctor refused to provide care. The bill failed to pass the Senate. Unbelievably, every U.S. senator who has put their hat in the ring to run for president voted against the bill. They voted against providing medical care for a child born alive. In so doing, they approved infanticide. How can we have sunk so low? 35 years ago, there was a gynecologist in our congregation in Montgomery. He said that within 12 days of conception, the fetus has a heartbeat. It has a DNA that is different from his or her mother. It is uniquely human, a unique human being. And though it cannot survive outside the womb, it is not part of the mother's body. In other words, by the time a woman can know that she is pregnant, there is within her a human child. The science is indisputable. The violence of an abortion, the killing of that child is unthinkable. And yet Planned Parenthood and abortion providers and supporters argue that a woman has a right to do with her body whatever she likes. That is just bad science. It is not her body. We're talking about taking a human life. In our February meeting of the Charlotte area Anglican clergy, we discussed the issue of abortion and infanticide. We agreed that the church must not simply wag a finger in the face of a woman with an unplanned pregnancy. We must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ his love, and forgiveness. We must offer real alternatives to an abortion. Let me tell you a story. There was a young woman in our congregation in Montgomery 
who at age 15 got pregnant on her first car date. Her mother was not in the picture. Her father threw her out of the house. The church took her in. She lived with one of our parishioners. The gynecologist that I mentioned earlier gave her and the child she was carrying free medical care. One of our flock promised to pay her way to college if she would give the baby birth and put the child up for adoption. Her every need was met. What I said to the church was that we were called to live a prophetic lifestyle. That is to say, we were called to do what is righteous. Jesus was a prophet. What would he do? He would take her in. I know it. He would love and care for her. He would lay down his life for her. He would go to the cross for her. Like a mother hen, we took her under our wing. We loved and cared for her and the baby she carried. You know what? People left the church because they were scandalized for having an unmarried pregnant teen in our midst. That is a sad commentary on the church. To make a long story short, she gave birth to a healthy baby, a healthy baby boy. Her father was overcome with joy at having a grandson, and he took her and the baby back into his home. We never saw her again. Yes, it was sin that got her pregnant, but it is God's grace, his never-failing love, that redeemed her and gave life to her and to that baby boy. Luke, 31, Luke 13, 31 to 35, shows us Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and king. I want to try to bring together what, who Jesus is and what the church can do in response to our violent culture of abortion and infanticide. First, Jesus came to Jerusalem as a prophet. Our text tells us some prophets came, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. This was Herod Antipas, whose father, Herod the Great, tried to kill Jesus as an infant. Do you really think the Pharisees cared that Herod wanted to kill Jesus? Some scholars think so, but I think not. The Pharisees just wanted Jesus out of town. They feared the loss of their political influence. Today, Planned Parenthood and their supporters fear the loss of their revenue stream. They do not care about human life or medical science. They care about the money and their political power. Eugenics was at the heart of the founding of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger's goal was to improve the race by selecting the children who would live or die. She targeted African-American communities. Jesus responded to the Pharisees, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus rejected the Pharisees' appeal. 
defending his healing ministry and explained that he, like the prophets of old, must die in Jerusalem. Prophecy takes two forms, foretelling, telling the future, and forthtelling, speaking truth into a current situation. Like the prophets of old, Jesus spoke the truth to political and religious leaders of Jerusalem. Jesus calls the church, the new Jerusalem, to speak truth to our culture of death, to live a prophetic lifestyle, to confront violence with God's love. Nothing is more violent than ripping a baby from the womb. What must we do to bring an end to the violence? Second, Jesus came to Jerusalem as a priest. A priest intercedes with God on behalf of the people. A priest offers sacrifices to God for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. A priest gathers the people of God and intercedes for their needs. He makes sacrifice for their sins. Jesus cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. Jesus came to Jerusalem tenderly like a mother hen to gather the people for, to himself. But the crowds that shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, soon cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. The sins of this world nailed Jesus to the cross. On that cross, Jesus interceded for us all. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We must not miss Jesus' primary purpose in coming to Jerusalem. He came to die. On the cross, he was both the priest and the sacrifice, the precious Lamb of God. He made a way for the forgiveness of our sins. He laid down his life for us, and he calls us, the new Jerusalem, to lay down our lives for the most vulnerable among us, to intercede for the children, to forgive the mothers, some, even within the church, need that forgiveness. What must we do to heal the hurts? Finally, Jesus came to Jerusalem as a king. Jesus said, I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A reference to Palm Sunday. Zechariah prophesied, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Luke tells us how this was fulfilled. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went away and found it just as he had told them. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Jesus came in peace to Jerusalem as the king of the Jews. He comes in peace to the new Jerusalem as a king. Will we shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord? Or will we stand with those who cry, crucify him, crucify him? We began with this. The Lord loved Jerusalem, but he bemoaned their violence and their faithlessness. The Lord Jesus also loves his church, the new Jerusalem. Will we confront the violence? Will we be found faithful? What does the King of Kings ask of us, of you and me? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, behold, I am coming soon. Are we ready? Pray with me.